crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Praise God! God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. God bless the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and rode on it, just as the scripture says. Do not be afraid, city of Zion. Here comes your king, riding on a young donkey. His disciples did not understand this at the time. But when Jesus had been raised to glory, they remembered that the scripture said this about him and that they had done this for him. The people who had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from death had reported what had happened. That was why the crowd met him, because they heard he had performed this miracle. Pharisees then said to one another, You see, we are not succeeding at all. Look, the whole world is following him. What kind of king is this? We come to the final week of our celebration and our anticipation of Easter, which for the church, for Christians, is, is the high point of our year. It is the, the high holiday of our celebration as, as to why we exist. And we began this journey, if you, if you weren't here, many weeks ago, months ago, in fact, saying, how do we get here? How do we find ourselves in the situation we are? And we went right back to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and how, how God created a very different world than the one we live in today how sin entered the world and how, how God had a plan to, to deal with sin and, and to bring people back into relationship with him. And that plan culminates in the cross and in Jesus Christ. And the week before Easter Sunday, when we celebrate the resurrection, and Good Friday when we celebrate the crucifixion, we have this date called Palm Sunday, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem. It's a significant date. All four gospel writers, first century eyewitnesses, historical documents which, which give us the life of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them include this in their account. Why? Because it's important. They are introducing us to a king. Each of them with their own slant and their own particular focus. I mean, it's all the same, but every reporter has their own kind of angle on a story. And, and Luke brings us a unique angle to this story as he introduces us to the king who is Jesus. Luke writes to this Roman official named Theophilus, and this is his compilation, which he called, we call the Gospel. It's a first century eyewitness account of, of the life and the teaching and the miracles and the end of life and then the resurrection from, from death to, to life. Of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to Theophilus, this Roman official, to, to explain what this movement's all about and who it centers on. And, and you'll discover it's not a political movement. We know we have Jesus who is a king who reaches and comes to save all people. Even at his birth, you know, um, you know, his the message just reverberates. Shepherds, 
commoners are welcome to celebrate the birth of the king. As Jesus begins his ministry, he's encountering everyday outsiders, outcasts, and he's bringing them into the family. Tax collectors, sinners, lepers, you know, diseased peoples, cripples. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus has room for you in his family and as your king. Luke brings us now to the story of the triumphal entry, which we call it. And I put the video on there just so you know. I believe this story actually happened. This is not just a, a fictional account. That this, this really occurred. And so, so you would look at that and say, what a weird story. If you're not familiar with Jewish customs, Jewish history, biblical Jewish history, you would say, okay, what, what kind of king does that? I mean, you're... you're, you're your, your vision of a king in this time period would be more like the white or the black stallion. Fully, you know, with military regalia and, and, and troops marching into a city that you've conquered or returning to your home city with the spoils of war behind you. That would be the, the kind of triumph you'd expect from a king in the first century. But here we have the Galilean rabbi jumping on an unbroken donkey and riding into Jerusalem. It's a weird story if you're not familiar with history. If you were Jewish, you would know that, oh, no, no, there were two kings in Israelite's history that rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. That there is strong kingly associations with this image. And if you were Jewish and familiar with the Jewish scriptures, you would know that Zechariah prophesied that, that this king would come humble, riding on a donkey. It was a message of peace, not a message of conquest or triumph of war. He was coming to bring the peace. Luke will paint for us three pictures of what kind of king Jesus is. The first picture is that, that Jesus is this king of action. He's the king that gets things done. He's not a king who just talks. He's a king that actually fulfills what he says and, and has an intentionality to his action. You and I are used to leadership that makes promises that doesn't deliver, right? I mean, we're all used to that, right? Politicians promise a bunch of stuff and then they get elected and, and then, oh, oh well, we can't do that. Or, or they make promises for years down the road when they're not going to be in power anymore. And, and you know, we're just used to, to accepting that as, oh, that's just the reality. People talk, people talk. That's not Jesus. Oh, no. Luke paints a totally different picture of a king of action. Look with me at Luke 19, verse After Jesus had said this, he continued on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now when he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples telling them, go to the village ahead of you. When you enter it, you will find a colt tied there that's never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord needs it. Now stop there. Imagine you own this colt. Two guys walk into, you know, and, and start untying your animal. And you're like, what are you doing? The Lord needs it. Okay, take it. You know, I mean, it seems a little bit far-fetched. Unless, unless the king had made advanced preparations for this moment. In which case, the disciples who were not with the traveling group of disciples, but were located in Jerusalem, just recognized that, oh, yeah, the Lord needs it? Okay, well, the Lord could take it then. There's something about the disciples of Jesus Christ that understand that their life and everything they have is at the king's disposal. In the Roman law, a Roman centurion could command you to assist them if they wanted to. 
you carry this for the next mile, and you, you picked it up and you carried it, because that was the law. This king comes along and says, I need a donkey, and they're like, okay, take it. Verse 32, it says, So those who were sent, went, who were sent ahead found it exactly as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and had Jesus get on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. I mean, they're excited now. At this point, other gospel writers tell us that Jesus actually had a price on his head already. That he was a wanted man. And here he is declaring himself to the whole city of Jerusalem, I'm coming! And the disciples are excited. And, and they're like, let me tell you what Jesus did. He turned water to wine. He fed 5,000. He calmed the sea. He healed blind people. He's healed sick people. He, he's even raised a girl from the dead. I mean, gee, there's nothing. Lazarus, he called him from the tomb and he came walking. I mean, this Jesus has done amazing things. They're, they're proclaiming it. Read the Gospels. You'll see all that this king can do. He's a king of action. They quote the psalm in verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I mean, this is an exciting moment. But it says in verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they keep silent, the very stones will cry out. So I got a picture here. I mean, what kind of king is this? He's a king who, who has a plan. This is not a haphazard, hey, by the way, let's, you know, let's jump over the fence and grab that donkey and have a little rodeo. I mean, he's got it planned out precisely because this is God's plan and he is fulfilling his father's will and, and he is now coming himself and he's declaring, here I am. I am your king. I am a king of action. I've planned this. I've, I've preceded it. I, I'm a God who, I mean, look at all the things that I've done as his disciples are, exclaim, are proclaiming it. I mean, who else has raised the dead? Who else has you know, fed the multitudes? Who else has healed lepers? Who else has brought sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, you know, voice to, to, to the mute? Who else but Jesus? Here he is. Luke fails to mention the branches. Matthew will mention the branches. Mark will mention the branches. Luke doesn't mention the Luke doesn't actually use the term Hosanna either, even though that was a term that the other gospel writers will tell you that they use. Because Luke is being careful with Theophilus to, to really clarify that this is not a political move on Jesus' part. It's a spiritual and a religious move. He's fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures. He's coming as God's messianic king. His agenda is primarily spiritual. Peace. So he leaves out the branches. He leaves out the Hosanna. But he brings out the same idea. Jesus is this king of action who's coming, coming to save. Surely if our king is a king of action, that he would expect us to be people of action, right? I mean, Charles Sheldon wrote this book in the late 1800s. It was called In His Steps. And the popular term that came out of this book was this idea, what would Jesus do? 
WWJD. Maybe you used to see the bracelets and the T-shirts and the hats, and it was popular for a little while there. But it goes back to this book. And in this book, Charles Sheldon tells about all these people, several different lives, that, that decided that as, as, as disciples of Jesus Christ, they would live their lives with this model that every situation they faced, they would step back and say, what would Jesus do? And then they would act accordingly no matter what the cost. Because they wanted their lives to reflect their king, who is a king of action. And it kind of shows how people, you know, some things go good, some things don't go good. When you do what Jesus does, you're not always well received by the community and by your, your business associates and by your family. He is a king of action. He knows where this journey ends. No one else knows. I mean, this, this journey ends at a, at a cross. It's, it's a bloody journey. He's going to die in the, for sinners on a cross, be humiliated. His blood will pour out. He knows where he's going, but no one else does, it seems. But he is a king of action. He walks in. He could have slipped in the back gate of Jerusalem and kind of lurked around in the shadows and kind of been subversive, but no. He declares himself, here I am. Jerusalem, will you receive me as your king? Jews, will you receive me as your king? Well, the next snapshot Luke gives us is that Jesus is this king of compassion. He's a king of compassion. He's, he, 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 he acts, but then there's some deep emotional response that we find that Luke paints for us, which is surprising. Because you don't expect this type of emotion from a king. See, in verse 41... It says, now when Jesus approached and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if only you had known on this day, even you, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and surround you and close in on you from every side. They will demolish you, you and your children within your walls, and they will not leave within you one stone on top of another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. We see the crying king here. Because as he comes into Jerusalem, no one is really stopping what they're doing. Everything is just bustling along. And he's like, you're totally missing. This is your moment, people. And you've, you've missed it. And he's crying over Jerusalem because he says, I, I came to bring you peace. You missed it. And what's going to come to Jerusalem in AD 70 is an absolute destruction. Titus is going to come in with the Roman army. And after a prolonged siege, when they finally crack open the gates and get, come into the city, they're done with Jerusalem. And they're like, this city will not stand again. And they just destroy it. In Rome, you can see this arc, this arch where they've celebrated the conquest of Jerusalem. And, and on the side of this archway is, is this is this picture of the menorah from Jerusalem. That's how we know what the menorah looks like because in the first century, in the celebration of the destruction of Jerusalem, that in, back in Rome, they, they built this huge thing to, to celebrate their success. Jesus is looking, he's saying, man, if only, if only you would have just stopped and understood why I'm here. Kings weren't no, normally known to be emotional like most men. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? I mean, how often you know, do, do we see each other crying, right? And, and a guy that does cry a lot, we're kind of like, eh, what's wrong with him? You know, like, let's be honest, right? That's kind of the way we feel about it, right? 
Um, you know, there are crying preachers out there. I'm not one of them, thank you. Know, so, you know, you know, but, but you know, every time they get to a certain point in the sermon, the tears start flowing, and, and that's okay. That's just not me. You know, I don't, I don't, but, but as I look at Jesus here, I am brought to a sense of like, like, what is it that moved Jesus so deeply here? He was moved so deep because these, the people that he loved, that he was about to die for, are totally blind to what he's doing there. He's a king of compassion. Now, I would have met, might have been a little angry if I was Jesus. That how dare these people not recognize me as I'm coming in. Like, I am the eternal king. Stop what you're doing. Bow down and worship me because I created this whole thing. I mean, I, I, you know, I was there before Abraham. I am. I mean, like, 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 he deserves better than this. The king could have demanded their obedience, but he's crying over their ignorance. And so today, Jesus weeps as people enter Easter and go about their life. It's like there's nothing different. I get up with my family on Good Friday to go to do the early service, 10 o'clock. I lived in Southern Alberta, and there was guys that would get out, and they had a little lawnmower with a with a with a fire pit built on top of it, and and like 8:30 in the morning in the back alley of, of the of, of this neighborhood where I lived, there these guys were fire going, beers open, they're celebrating Good Friday, and I'm just like, you guys are missing it. Is this all Good Friday is? Is a day off to have beers in the back alley? You're missing the point. And at in my early years, I kind of looked down with them with disdain, like, oh, what a callous, you know, heathens those are. But then later on, I started to feel a little bit of this, just sadness. A profound sadness and disappointment that that would be the high point of their Easter celebration. Don't forget, those rough and tough people you work with, those ladies that are crude and rude and outcuss the guys, those students that you go to school with that are irreverent and godless, Deep down, they need the love of Jesus. And the heart of Christ weeps for them. Your stubborn uncle or aunt that just, you know, cursed God, deep down, they need Jesus. Don't forget that. Christ weeps over Jerusalem. Are we moved to compassion for the same reasons Jesus was moved to compassion? I have a picture here of Jesus looking over Jerusalem and he's weeping. Oh, that you would have just known that your opportunity was here. And I believe that God brings opportunities into people's lives. Where, where the door opens, and, and like oftentimes at funerals, you know, I'll be preaching the gospel, and there's people there that don't know it. And you can tell that they're, they're chewing on this, but they don't really want to deal with it. They just want to go out back to their life, forget about this death, forget that they're going to die, and just keep living their lives, hoping that somehow some mysterious lottery will get them into heaven when they die. And, and Jesus is like, it doesn't work that way, but I made the way for you. Will you just receive it? Kids go to camp say some type of prayer, but then they come home and nothing changes in their life. And Jesus is like, I'm, I want to be your savior, but I also want to be your king. I want to lead you. Would, would you follow me in your life, in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood, on the hockey rink, on the basketball court, in the gymnastics arena, in the swimming pool, in the arts and crafts guild, or whatever you're doing, you know, on the, on the shop floor. Would you, would, you, would you just bring me with you wherever you're going? And they're like, ah. Oh. It was really cool when I was there, but now that I'm back here, I'm, I, I just don't think I can do it, Jesus. And Jesus just weeps and says, you're missing the life that I could have given you. 
and you're choosing some second, third, fourth-rate option of your own making, which will lead you nowhere. Jesus weeps. The better thing stood right in front of them, and they totally ignored it. Hope we're not like that. And let's be compassionate. Let, let, let us think about this is what breaks the heart of, of Christ, is people that just are walking in darkness. And we bring the, the truth of that message into their lives as, as, as witnesses to Jesus Christ, just as Luke is doing for us. We do that for our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. He is a king of compassion. I remember a father telling me about his son who had been very rebellious, uh, got in trouble with the law, you know, had, had incurred significant debts to, this, to his family. They had bailed them out financially and otherwise, and it was, it was a significant burden. But the dad looked at me and he just said, you know, if he would just come back to Jesus, I would, that, that, that would mean nothing to me. That's the heart of God. You're like, I've blown it. I've messed up. I've, I've screwed up. I've, I've, I've totally, you know, blown my, my, my life, you know, and I've made so many mistakes. And, and God's like, I can forgive you. I will forgive you. I love you. That's the compassion of God. The loving heart of God. That's what, that's what, that's what the cross screams out to us. It says, no matter, no matter what you've done, how bad it is, Christ is able. His, his death is sufficient to forgive you, your sins and restore you to relationship with God. He's a king of compassion. But lastly, he's a king of conviction. He's a king of conviction. You know, he... You know, we, we look for leaders who have values and who live out those values and beliefs and, and who, who, who don't change, you know, with the seasons but are, are, are truly, you know, consistent in their character. And that's the, that's the character of Jesus, our King. It says in verse 45, He entered the temple courts and began to drive out those who were selling things there, saying to them, It is written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. And Jesus was teaching daily in the temple courts. The chief priests and the experts in the law and the prominent leaders among the people were seeking to assassinate him. But they could not find a way to do it for all the people hung on his words. He comes into the court. The first court you came into in the temple was the court of the Gentiles. It was the court that most of us would be worshiping in because we're not Jewish. If you weren't Jewish, that's as far, that's as close as you got to God. But that was your place where you could connect with the, the one and true God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, who made covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who delivered his people out of, out of Egypt. I mean, Gentiles could come and worship this God in the court of the Gentiles. The next court was the court of the Jewish women, followed by the court of the Jewish men, followed by the court of the priests, and then the priests could go into the, into the temple itself, and then the high priest only once a year into the Holy of Holies. So like the closer you got to God's, presence, the, the fewer people got there. But here was the one place where, where people could come and connect with God. And guess what? It's a flea market. It's a bazaar. It's like a shopping mall. People are coming and going. They're changing money. They're changing, you know, selling animals and blah, blah, blah. It's the place where all of us and our relatives and our ancestors would be coming to connect with the living God. And, and we find it to be a, just a big mall, which, if you're like me, is not a very nice place to worship. <laughs> I like the exhilaration of a market. Don't get me wrong. We go to Russia and there's certain places. It's kind of fun. You know, you can barter. You go back and forth. But I would never want to do that in a place of worship. 
there they just allowed all the trading to get right close to the action. You know, we'll make more money if, if it's right close to the action. And, of course, you can't buy animals unless you're using the temple, you know, uh, you know uh, currency. And so you had to trade your currency for the temple currency. And, of course, of course exchange rates in, the, in that place were pretty bad, you know. And so it just becomes this profiteering. Jesus walks into that and says, this is supposed to be the place where people can encounter the living God. And you've turned it into this, you know, Amazon.ca. Like, what's going on here? It's supposed to be a house of prayer. I love the, the Russian church. They, they, they call their churches the Domolitva, which is house of prayer. Because based on this text, right, this, that the church is, it's not a church. It's a house of prayer. It's a place where we, we connect with God. And this king of conviction comes in and he says, What's really important is that you come to know the living God, but you've turned this place into a shopping mall. If you visit Jerusalem today, you'll find it hasn't changed. 2,000 years, it's still the same. It is a glorified flea market. Everyone is profiting off of it. Muslims, Jews, Christians, you know, of every stripe, and then secular people, they're just selling Christian trinkets to, to Christian tourists and Jewish tourists and, and non-Christian tourists. I mean, it, it, it hasn't changed. It's a significantly spiritual place, which is incredibly dark. And Jesus is like, that's not what I want. This king of conviction is, is there. And I've got a picture here of, of, of Jesus. You know, he, he's clearing the temple there. Here's my picture. There he is. Like, get out of here, you guys. Earlier, he had come in with a whip and was like, Whoa. Crack, crack, you know, that would have been, but this one here, he's a little more subdued. But he's like, look, this, this, this is not what this place is for. You've blown it. Now, here's the other thing. If you knew the king was coming or the queen or some illustrious leader in our country, chances are you would probably realign your schedule or stop what you're doing to see what's happening, right? When something important is going on, that's what we usually do. I remember being in Mexico, 1998, with a couple guys from the church here who were with me on that, that trip. And, and we were doing some construction, and, and we went to the, to the local store to buy materials to do some of the work at a church and an orphanage. And, and, and you know, and normally, like in, like in Canada, you expect people to jump to the, to the, to the table and, and help you. Of course, especially when you see a bunch of gringos coming in with, you know, with green money. I mean, I mean surely they'd be there to serve us, but, but no one was serving us. You know why? Because there was a soccer game going on. <laughs> And all the guys working in the store were watching soccer. Finally, one of the wives came out and reluctantly helped us. While all the guys, they didn't even get up. They didn't even look at us. Because something really important was going on. Here, the most important thing in all the universe is happening right in front of them. And everyone's just still going about their business. And Jesus comes in. It's like, look, you guys have blown it. No one's stopping. No one's acknowledging him. The leaders, earlier on, what are they doing? They're telling him to shut up. They're not telling him, oh, king, what do you want us to do now? They're just saying, shut up. Tell your disciples to shut up. And, you know, and, you know, and, and now, you know, now he's kicking them out of the temple. It's just a, it's, a, it's like a, a bad movie. Does anyone get who's in front of them here? And so you're not surprised, as Luke will tell later, that Jesus is arrested, he's betrayed, he's arrested, he's ultimately killed on the cross, executed, because they totally missed the king. And my worry is that we would come to Easter and miss the king. 
And there's lots of fun stuff we're going to do at Easter, but the most important thing is that we don't forget the king is here. He is our king. And we should stop some things to give the king some of our attention. He deserves that attention. So I've asked you and I've suggested to you, and I'm going I'm to bug you a little more this morning, that you would take this week and stop listening to all that other stuff. Some of it may not even be that bad, but I'm just saying, turn off the news. Turn off your internet news feeds. Go black on social media. Pick up a book. Pick up the Bible. You got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You could read a gospel each day. And then Good Friday, you show up here and we celebrate the, the death of Christ on the cross. I'm saying to you, you know what? Make this week different. Why? Because you are acknowledging the king in your life. A king of, of action, a king of compassion, and a king of conviction. And that you would, you would just find the time and, and refocus your life, reorient your mind Reframe your, your perspective around Jesus instead of all the other messages that are out there. I hope we learned something about that in the last two years. That's why the church exists, to remind you that there is a bigger narrative always than what's going on out there. It's God's narrative. And what seems like a failure on Friday is a victory on Sunday. And we live in that reality. Sometimes it feels more like Friday than Sunday as Christians, let's be honest. But we always know that Sunday's there, even when no one else does. The king comes in and no one notices. He's this king of action and, and compassion and conviction, and, 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 and no one's noticing. But he invites us, Luke, to just take, a, take attention, pay attention to this king. Receive this king. Follow this king. Emulate this king. And so as a church, we're moving up and out a new life in Jesus Christ. How do we do that this week? By not turning on to any internet news sites. By not turn, watching satellite news, CNN, Fox, whatever your favorite, CTV. See, what, we're just saying, you know what? We're, we're not responding to texts that, that, are, that are giving us messages that, you know, well, this latest thing that's happening here or here. We're just, we're just not interpreting our world that way. We're interpreting our world from the bigger perspective, God's perspective this week. Pick up a good book. Read a good Lenten devotional. Read through the Gospels. Study the passion narratives in each Gospel. Come to appreciate the King. So when you show up with me on a Good Friday, you're ready. You're ready to sit in the darkness and to feel the weight of His suffering for us. You'll partake with the bread and the cup as a church family. This is not, this is not a bring your friend or your neighbor to church. Good Friday is just a family meal. Let's get together and say, Christ died for us. Then you go grab your friends and bring them here Sunday morning. We say, he rose again. You can have new life in Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the team up. They're going to lead us in a closing song, another Hosanna song, which is kind of great with the theme of, of today. Have you embraced the king in your life? He is a king worth following because there is no one like him. A king of action, a king of compassion, a king of conviction. And as his followers, he's saying, okay, would you be people of action? Would you be people of compassion? And would you lead lives of conviction? Grounded in his truth. You see the end of that story? The people are just hanging on every Jesus word. <gasps> wow. 
And this Holy Week, he's inviting you to hang on his words, to receive his message, to learn from him. I can't force you to do that, but I'm inviting you to join me as I do it, to join other brothers and sisters in this church as we focus on Jesus together. Would you pray with me as we close and the team prepares to lead us in a song? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today I invite you. He is a king who has room for anyone in his kingdom that will come and believe in him. He died on the cross, he rose again so that you could be saved, freed from the penalty of your sin and brought into God's family forever. Lord, we declare you to be our king, Jesus Christ. You are the head, the number one in this church. And as we enter this holy week, we dedicate our time to you, our focus to you. Lead us, O King, to the cross and then to the empty tomb. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. Use us. May we be people of action, compassion, and conviction as we walk in the footsteps of our King this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the end in the book of Revelation. The king has conquered. And John writes, he says, After these things I looked, and there was an enormous crowd that no one could count, made up from persons from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in long white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They were shouting out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they threw themselves down with their faces to the ground before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen! Praise and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And God's people said, God bless you. Have a great week. See you Friday.